We are just one week away from Palm Sunday. And uh, that's the beginning of what we commonly call Holy Week. And with that in view this morning, I want us to uh, put on our imaginary first century robes and sandals and uh, travel, seek to travel with Jesus and his apostles through some of the events of that week. Just some reminders. Now, first off, let's imagine ourselves to be a part of the crowd who felt that they were greeting a king about to take his throne as Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem, the capital city and location of the sacred temple of the living God. Just kind of imagine to put yourself in that crowd. And let's read about that. We're gonna, it's going to be on the screen, uh, this passage from Matthew chapter 21, which uh, tells about that Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday uh, event, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So let's read it together in unison, will you, with me. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with them. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Next screen, please. Okay. <laughs> this took, you know, I guess it was there, and I was looking at the reference up there. I, I'm, I apologize to you. Sorry, Matt. Okay, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Pardon me for my inattention. Okay. Now, as... The week proceeds, and we travel with Jesus and the apostles. Uh, We would see Jesus chasing from the temple those who were desecrating it. We would hear him teaching there in the temple, often using parables, such as the one about a landowner and his despicable tenants, or the one about the marriage supper for a king's son. We would hear him clarify the supremacy of the command to love God completely and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We would marvel, perhaps fearfully, as he challenged the scribes and Pharisees. He repeatedly called them hypocrites and charged them with all manner of religious error and 
Finally, in deep sadness, he lamented, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Among other teachings we would have heard during that week were more parables. One was about wise and foolish virgins. Another spoke of servants entrusted with various amounts of their master's money. Then, too, he taught them about a coming judgment wherein nations would be separated like sheep and goats, depending on their good or bad treatment of those Jesus called his brothers. And as the week neared a close, we would have heard him say he would have shared with us some dread news. After the Passover, the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. So now, the time of the Passover meal has arrived. Preparations were made, and the 12 of them partook of the traditional meal with Jesus. Now, imagining yourself to be there, let's read what happened. Here it is in Matthew 26, and once again, we'll read together in unison. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is to be shed for sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine, from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You know, that's the institution of what we call the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to interrupt this sermon and suggest that we, at this time, participate in the Lord's Supper. And if you're disappointed that the sermon was so short, don't worry, there'll be more. But um, I would like those who are going to serve to come just now. And uh, remember, we are, uh, we've been trying to imagine that we were in that, those places where Jesus and his disciples were. That we were in that upper room. That we are in that upper room. And Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body, this is my blood. And so, um, without further um, explanation, I'm going to uh, uh, ask that these folks will distribute the elements to you. Please um, retain them until all have been served, and then we will participate together. And as you're being served, I just want to make some brief comments. You know, we are in a much better position to understand this than were those early disciples. Jesus had said to them that after Passover, he was going to be crucified. 
They had, as we understand, a difficulty understanding that. And now he says, he hands, as he gives them the bread on that Passover meal, he said, this is my body. And then he passes the cup and said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which shall be poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And if we today could have, by some time warp or whatever it is, get back in there, we would be able to explain to the 12 exactly what meant that meant because they did not yet understand that. They had great difficulty in accepting the fact that Jesus was going to be crucified. He tells them, my blood is being poured out for the forgiveness of sin. But they had limited understanding. We are in a better position. You have in your hand, or will have, bread that represents the body of Jesus, in which he can, which God became a man. You have that which represents the blood that he poured out for us. So we're not doing any music or anything right now, and I just want you, in the silence of these moments, to ponder that. To ponder that. Because, see, we could explain to the disciples that we are all sinners. Jesus came and he died in our place and he rose again. And by our personal trust in him, we can have this relationship with him. And that's the message that they came to understand and that they began to proclaim after the resurrection. It's the message that we have to believe and be saved. Participate with gratitude in your heart.
seated, please. Let's pray. Lord, it's customary for us before participating in a meal to ask your blessing on it. We ask your blessing on this simple meal. And thank you for all of its significance as it speaks to us of that eternal love that you showed for us. You so loved the world that you gave your only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We rejoice in the truth of the gospel. And so now as we participate and take care of the, take this bread and eat of this bread, we do so in gratitude for the body that hung upon the cross in order to purchase our salvation. Let's participate together. And we acknowledge, Lord, that there on that cross, Jesus poured out his blood for us. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Your word makes that so clear. And so now we participate in this in a symbolic way, uh, expressing to you the gratitude that we have, that we have been able to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we partake of this symbol of his blood with gratitude to you. Amen. The Apostle Paul reminds us that as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim his death until he comes again. He's coming again, and but until then we have these reminders. We will, as we customarily do, receive our benevolent offering just now. And uh, we'll continue in silence. And once the silence has ended, I'm going to start preaching again. Pass your uh, glasses to the center aisle, please, and, uh, and then be ready to participate in the benevolent offering. Oh, um, we need something to take that offering in. Oh, they're right. <laughs> Let's, uh, <laughs> do we have... Uh, Wayne, where are the offering uh, containers to? Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you, uh, why don't you hang on to your glasses, and let's take our offering in these. That'll work. That'll work. In fact, I suppose, I don't know. You can hang on to the glasses. We can take care of those later. Just stash them away someplace. We'll use this. I, sup- I don't know if it's my fault. I'll take the blame for this. Uh, I didn't know part of my responsibility in filling in for Pastor Jim. Oh, look at here. Well, <laughs> okay, folks, figure it out. <laughs> now the, the gold-colored ones are for these, and the, and the, uh, the regular offering baskets are uh, whatever you call those things are coming.
when Pastor Jim gets back on the scene here, let's tell him everything went off just perfectly, <laughs> without a hitch. I mean, we just did. We did just great. <laughs> okay. Back to the sermon. To complete our journey with Jesus and the Twelve, I would want you to note simply this. Following the Passover meal, we have in John chapters 14 to 16 the longest continual discourse of Jesus with, his, with the Twelve. And then that was followed by his lengthy prayer in chapter 17 of John. And so uh, uh, right after that long discourse in Jesus' prayer, John chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there Jesus is arrested. Now that brings to an end. You can take your first century uh, uh, robe and sandals off now and uh, get back to, uh, to the 21st century. Uh, today, I want to bring to you the third of four messages on the uh, theme, Christ our Rock. Several weeks ago, we looked at Christ as our cornerstone, and then it was Christ our Rock of Provision. Uh, today, we see him as our Rock of Protection, and I hope you noticed the protection that was sung about in our, in our music together today. And uh, next Sunday, Lord willing... Uh, which will be Palm Sunday, we will look at Christ as a rock of offense, otherwise called a stone of stumbling. And all of those uh, rock references are based on a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, which we will not read today, but uh, verses 6 through 8, that's the, that's the basis for this focus on Jesus and Christ as our rock. Now, the land in which Jesus lived is an extremely rocky land. I know Steve and uh, Tressa were just there, and uh, I can't see where you are out there, but that's a rocky place, isn't it? Rocks all over. Rocks are uh, strong, difficult, if not impossible to move, pretty much indestructible. The Old Testament yields frequent examples of the protection afforded by rocks or rocky places. Think of Moses, protected from the glory of God by being placed in the cleft of a rock. Or David, finding protection in a rocky cave from Saul who was seeking his life. There were armies protected from their foes by attaining the rocky high ground. Cities erected stone walls to provide a formidable barrier to potential marauders. Rocks. They speak of strong protection. Protection, that's the gist of our text today found in Psalm 61, verses 1 through 4. And you have it there in your bulletin. If you're looking at the bulletin notes, uh, you'll find those four verses are are uh, printed there. And once again, let's read in unison. And let's read from what you have in the bulletin from Psalm 16, verses 1 through, uh, excuse me, Psalm 61, and verses 1 through 4. And here it is. Read it with me. Hear my cry, O God. 
Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. There is one here in this passage who is referred to as the rock that is higher than I. I want us to see today that this rock is our God in the person of Jesus Christ. And that he is the wonderful protector of all who flee to him to experience all the benefits that he provides. Now, I've had a bit of a struggle in preparing this sermon. Uh, It is this. The Bible, and especially in the New Testament from start to finish, has much to say about protection from the enemies of the gospel. And that protection is firmly rooted in our relationship with Jesus, our rock. The problem, then, is one of selection of what to glean from the Bible to share meaningfully with you. There's so much there. But um, So I have chosen to demonstrate what he, as our rock of protection, has to say on the subject. I will focus just on some words spoken by Jesus in this longest continuous discourse with his disciples just hours before his arrest and subsequent crucifixion. This discourse, as I mentioned before, is found in John's Gospel, chapters 14 to 16. So the, um, the biblical material that I, that I add to this outline is from that, from John 14 to 16. I first want us to see, so, so the big idea here is that when we are in need of protection from life's bumps and bruises, Jesus is the rock to whom we may flee. Our rock is accessible. This almost, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, wherever I go, I call to you. When my heart is faint, whatever dangers I face, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. There is, a, there is a rock infinitely stronger than me or than my foes, higher than I, to provide protection for me. In John 14, verses 14 to 17, I find Jesus saying this. He says to his, he's speaking to the 12, if you ask me anything, well, they're the 11 now, because Judas is off the scene. But anyway, he says in verse 14, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I see two particular things here about Jesus, our rock, being accessible. First of all, it's prayer. He's accessible through prayer. And then secondly, he is accessible through the, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us. And as you read, John, especially chapters 14 and 16, you'll get quite a bit of information about the Holy Spirit, who, as Jesus says, he will be in you. 
And that's a part of standard equipment, if I can use it that way, for everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Prayer. We have the access to God through prayer. I read, oh, a long time ago, I came across this where someone had said about prayer, I asked for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing that I asked for. Everything that I hoped for, my prayer was answered. I have a a story. It comes from my sister, Lorraine. Some of you have met my sister. She's been here off and on. And uh, Lorraine um, was a school teacher for her over the years of her career. And uh, there was a period of time where uh, she went several times to Bolivia in the summer months to uh, engage in ministry with a friend of hers who was back in a jungle, very remote jungle station. And Lorraine tells this story, and I will just read it for you. Uh, She had set off on one of her summer teaching excursions at a jungle mission station in Bolivia. Having been there before, she knew what many of the needs were for various supplies and goodies that we tend to take for granted. She had suitcases and boxes bulging to the limit with such items. And she knew she was liable to pay dearly in passing through customs in both Miami and La Paz, Bolivia. Bolivia. A Sunday school class in Minneapolis, Lorraine's hometown, that she had visited shortly before leaving was made up of young girls. And after Lorraine's presentation, one of the girls suggested that they pray for Stevie. Stevie has always been her nickname. And that she would would not have to pay very much in customs. One tiny voice at the back of the room was heard to say, I think we should pray that she won't even have to pay one penny. (laughs) Well, all the kids agreed, and this became the prayer. The teacher says, "Uh uh-oh. How do I explain that things like that just don't happen? So Lorraine approached the customs desk in Miami. It was being presided over by the most gruff, unsmiling man she'd ever seen. He made her open every container. Her heart sank as she thought of what this would cost. But before he was able to make his assessment, a phone rang, and he was called to the back of the room to answer it, And a cheerful young man appeared, glanced at the contents of the containers, and said, That's okay, go on through. Not even one penny. But she still had to face what she sure was an insurmountable hurdle in La Paz. Well, as she waited in the La Paz airport for the customs window to open, she sat in the waiting room with her Spanish grammar textbook trying to reacquaint herself with that language. A Bolivian young man sat down next to her and said and asked what an American like her was doing in his country. It was a good opportunity for him to practice his faltering English, 
and for her to do the same with Spanish. She told him about the Jungle Mission Station and her previous experiences as a summer teacher. She had a chance, too, to share the gospel with him. Finally, their conversation ended, and he excused himself. Moments later, the customs window opened. Lorraine approached it, and who do you suppose greeted her? That's right. It was her newfound Bolivian friend. And as she brought her te treasures, he waved her on through, saying he refused to charge a customs payment for one who had come to do so much good for his people. In his simple, faltering English, he spoke words strangely reminiscent of those spoken by the tiny voice of a little girl thousands of miles away as he declared, you won't even have to pay one peso. <laughs> well, you know, God answers prayer. And prayer is, is, a, is a means for us to ex find Jesus, our rock, accessible. I got a little convicted as I, you know, I have a, uh, I have a file on various subjects, and I have a card file on prayer, and you know, I got a lot of cards on prayer. And a lot of answers to prayer that are recorded in, those, in that file of mine. I got a little convicted because not very many of them, some, but not very many of them are of my own personal experiences. And I got to thinking, you know, I wish I had more experiences like that. But then I got to thinking in another way, that God answers prayer day by week by month. And it's not in the kind of ways that make a great story. I mean, I think this is a great story. I love that story. But, you know, the... The, the little momentary things that God does in response to our prayers, they're there. And he is accessible to us. He is our place of, of shelter. He is the place where we find protection. We need to pray. And we need to, we need to learn more. I need to learn greater, uh, a greater amount of dependence upon him, my rock of protection. Well, our, our uh, Savior is our rock. Our rock is a provider of strength. That's the second point that I want us to make there. And the, notice the psalmist says, You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Uh, from John 15, I want to read these verses, starting at verse 18, 18 to 21. John 15, 18 to 21. Concerning our rock as a provider of strength. If the world hates you, Jesus is speaking to the 11, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. You know, opposition will come. Jesus makes that very plain. And for us, maybe the opposition comes from, oh, those who are very dismissive of us and say, oh, you, you, know, you simple-minded Christians, you just don't understand things. Or it may be the, 
the open kind of opposition that I think, for example, of the uh, university professor, uh, atheistic, who is... Uh, who has as part of his objective to undercut the faith of the students that come to him as believers. Uh, it comes, opposition comes in the way of false teaching. And there are those who, who uh, in the cults that have wrong doctrine and how important it is for us to be uh, grounded in the word of God so we understand what his truth is. Persecution sometimes comes in very harsh ways. I mean, I think of the Islamic world today and those who have been either killed in defense or in, in refusal to deny their faith in Christ or have been driven out of their countries. And we need to pray for those refugees, for the Christians among them who have, who have experienced so much loss through this persecution. And we should be praying also for those Islamic people among the refugees. And many of them are being ministered to with the Christian gospel, and there's some great stories. There are some great accounts that are coming out of those situations of Islamic people who are coming to know the reality of, of the truth in Jesus Christ. So there's, those, there's that kind of opposition. That's opposition from without. You know, there's also opposition that comes from within. Uh, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, and um, let's see, it's here in um, verse 20. Uh, Jesus said, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts and fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, Deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. I think what Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we have to understand that there are things that can come from within, from within us that stand in direct opposition to the gospel. Unless you're put off by that and you say, well, you look at the first part of that list and you say, well, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, uh, that doesn't mean much to me. But what about coveting and wickedness and deceit and sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness? You know, we can all find some things on that list that reside in our hearts that need to be guarded against. So let's be on guard. I, there's one thing I'd like to add to this list. It's a new word. It was a new word to me uh, just a few weeks ago. I, uh, and some of you were there, attended the, um, the uh, dessert function for the uh, pregnancy care clinic down at uh, South Woodbury Assembly. God and pa Pastor Matt Chambers said, uh, um, I want to ask you how many know this word, how many know the, the definition of this word? I'm going to ask you of this. How many know the definition of the word slacktivism? Slacktivism. I had never heard that word before, and I don't see any hands raised. Oh, some of you were at that meeting. Oh, anyway. Uh, slacktivism, and it's a legitimate word. Um, at least it is as far as uh, Wikipedia is concerned. And uh, it means... Um, let me give you, it's, it's that it's engaging in feel-good actions that have little benefit. For example, uh, 
likes on Facebook. Oh, easy to say. I like it. What, is there any commitment involved there? Or assigning um, the online, um, you know, the petition, but not sending any money to support those that are, that are um, you know, supporting this cause. Or uh, uh, things like that where, where we can make some a step, but it, and it makes us feel good, but we're slack about becoming active, slack to visum. It's, it's, it's like about becoming active in really pursuing the object and really making a difference. It's like um, joining a church and not participating in the, when the opportunities come for us to serve. And when it's time for somebody to volunteer to teach Sunday school or work in the nursery or participate in the, in the work day or whatever, you name it, if you're, you know, you're there... Maybe it's giving of your dollars. And if you're there, but you're not participating in, in meaningful ways, then, then I guess we'd say that you're a slacktivist. I heard about a, a young man, or, or I guess it was, what if in a marriage a young man says, I promise to you, to his bride, 80% fidelity. Well, come on now. We can't have that. And the Lord looks for us to have 100% commitment to him in all of our ways. So some of the dangers, some of the opposition that comes, one of those is our tendency to be slacktivists. May the Lord deliver us from that. Okay, finally, our rock is a provider of shelter. Let me dwell in your tent forever, praise the, uh, the psalmist. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. You know, in this discourse, John 14 to 16, the opening words and the closing words, kind of the, the bookends of the discourse, have to do with shelter. The psalmist says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The promise of eternal shelter is there in, those op- in the opening words of that, of that discourse. The psalmist says, let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. We already read earlier how, how Jesus stood there over Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. And we've all heard those stories of the, the prairie fire that rages across the prairie, and then you come along, and here's the dead, charred body of a hen, and somebody tips it over and outrun the little, the little chicks. That's not just somebody's imagination. That's the truth. And you know, by the way, the most, I, I did a little, I did some Wikipedia research, and the most common chicken in the United States for many years has been the Plymouth Rock. 
And I got to thinking, I wonder, is that rock, does that have anything to do with this rock of shelter? Well, I don't know where the rock comes from in the, in the name of the chicken, but I think there's a, there was a connection in my mind anyway when we take up, think of the rock of protection, and I think of that hen sheltering her chicks, and I think of Jesus using that analogy. But then, at the end of John 16, the final words of this lengthy discourse are these, verse 33 of chapter 16, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus is our rock. He is the one who provides shelter for us. You know, every analogy, every biblical analogy of the relationship between Christ and the church shows that we are dependent on him. We need the the provision of protection that he affords. Sheep need a shepherd. A body needs a head. A building needs a cornerstone. Branches need a vine. Disciples need a master. Chicks need a mother hen. In every analogy, Jesus is the sufficient provider and protector. Go to him. Find shelter in him. He's there for you in every storm and conflict of life. Father, we thank you today for the protection that we as your children have in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'll help each one of us to readily flee to this rock of protection in every situation in life that we face. And the May these words be helpful in enabling us to achieve that. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to energize us and to lead us and to teach us. May we depend on him and find shelter in you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.